Welcome to Dinger Derby, the only podcast completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join your host, Keith Patrick, every week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports from opening weekend all the way through Omaha. We'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders all season long. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome into the Dinger Derby podcast, the only podcast devoted 100% to Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. I'm your host, Keith Patrick. I've made my way back to Lubbock from the Frisco College Baseball Classic. The company was good, but unfortunately, the baseball and the weather just weren't great. So just an unfortunate, disappointing weekend for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. We'll jump into that all the way around. I did want to make one mention. I enjoyed meeting a listener sitting right in front of us at the Friday night game. I appreciate that. Enjoyed watching some baseball with you, man. I was so busy talking half the time, I kept missing plays for my scorecard. So appreciate everybody helping me out, keep up with the game. It was a fun evening. The Nebraska fans around us were some of the worst hecklers I've been around, but they were at least friendly and happy to be there. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and just say I remember my first baseball game too. Overall, just a frustrating evening out there at Dr. Pepper Ballpark in Frisco. The Red Raiders just couldn't buy a hit against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. They really struggled throughout the evening. The air was heavy and muggy, despite it being in the low 40s. The ball just wouldn't carry. You couldn't get any power on anything. Ultimately, they finished with four hits on the evening. Nebraska had six. And Texas Tech just couldn't get it rolling. Just a frustrating night. One of those baseball nights that you just want to have back or you want to put behind you one way or the other. Now, Josh Young did have a reasonably good night. He had a multi-hit game. He went two for four with a run scored. He did have a double in there as well. That was his first hit. He hit it to center out in the third inning, and he just turned it into a double, just stretched it out on pure hustle. He saw the throw was going to be fairly close, and he rolled out there hard. He saw it coming in short of the bag from center field, and he slid to the inside of the bag and and was able to get under that tag. It was a nice play by him, nice hustle play. A lot of times those national services will talk about him as being fast for his size, and I certainly think that's fair. It's obvious Josh Young is a big-bodied athlete. He obviously brings some power to the plate. It was good to see him show off that speed and to have a good game as well. It's no secret he hasn't been the breakout star of the season so far. I I still think you're going to see him come on. I think you're going to see him put things together and continue to work, but he has to be a little bit frustrated. It hasn't been a great year so far for him or really for this team in general. Certainly would love to see the Red Raiders start putting a little bit more dominance on folks. Overall for the weekend, and I don't know if you're on the ledge or not. I hope you're not. This is baseball. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that baseball is a long season sport. There's nothing to be worried about here. I think there are definitely some pieces that need fixing, some work that needs to be done by these Red Raiders. But overall, I don't think that it's time to throw in the towel. If you're the kind of fan that's going to go run next to the bandwagon waiting for a chance to jump back on, I guess that you're probably just a run-of-the-mill Red Raider because that's how a lot of us (laughs) tend to be when there's not immediate success happening. But I encourage you to stay positive. I think that this team is going to have some good things happen still. I hope that it's not another curse of the odd year kind of situation, but we've seen this team slump before. We've seen bad weather and cold temperatures be a struggle for them, especially on the road. So that's not a total surprise, but you're going to have a big week coming up here, and, and there's a lot to be thinking about for the Red Raiders. As far as that Friday night game goes, 
Gabe Holtz and Brian Klein both chipped in a hit as well on the evening. Brian Klein's was the only RBI of the Friday game. It was his 10th RBI of the season. He went one for two, and he also drew a walk. Max Marshock and Tanner Trimba both swiped bags, and Gabe Holt had a really uncharacteristic pickoff at first. They were really paying attention to him. The field had to be running slow. It was fairly tore up around the base paths, and it looked really wet still from the pregame preparation. Obviously, it wasn't drying in the foggy, dense air weather, and uh, it was probably running a little slow. But I don't know if he got caught leaning or what it was, but he got picked off. He was very unhappy about the call. I can tell you I was really close sitting there in the on the third row at the first base side, and I felt like it was probably the right call. But it was it was uncharacteristic, we can say that for sure. Gabe Holt knows what he's doing on the base paths, and he definitely bounced back in the second game with a much stronger performance. Now, I mentioned Max Marshock had a stolen base. Now, that was late in the game. He pinch ran for Brian Klein, who had gotten on base. Marshock stole second, and we got him into scoring position there, but then you just couldn't come up with the hit to bring him home. That's the tying run right there in scoring position. It was frustrating. It was just a story of the night for the Red Raiders. Just unusual to see them strike out as much as they did. Unusual to see them unable to put bats on balls throughout the evening. Ultimately, Tech against Nebraska struck out 13 times. That's a season high for the Red Raiders. Just not what you're used to seeing. They stranded nine on the base paths. Just a a frustrating evening. While they did only have four hits, they did have five walks. I mean, they had opportunities. They had guys out there, just couldn't put those at-bats together to get things done. I will say I noticed throughout the weekend some of the younger players, and maybe it was being on the road, maybe it was the weather, who knows what else it could have been, they were swinging early. I mean, there was just a lot of first-pitch groundouts. There was a lot of first-pitch flyouts. You know, one of the hallmarks of a Tim Tadlock team is working counts, just driving up pitch counts on pitchers, battling through. Remember Cameron Warren in the College World Series last year against Florida in game one? He had a 14 pitch at bat. I mean, that's what Texas Tech batters do. They infuriate opposing pitchers with spoiling pitches and battling through and fighting for a pitch. You can walk away after a strikeout, but if it's a 10 or 12 pitch at bat, you've driven up a pitch count on a starter, and that's exactly what you need to be doing. Unfortunately, Tech was not doing a lot of that, and they didn't run the starting pitcher for Nebraska until after five innings. Now, that's not a huge start. It's a quality start. It's not like he went seven or eight. I'm not I'm not saying that, but you certainly just struggled to get through those guys as quickly as you wanted to. What ended up happening, their reliever came in for three full innings. You weren't able to get rid of him, and then they pulled their first baseman as a closer, and he threw absolute gas and came in there and got the save. So again, to run through that game a little bit, Erickson Lanning gets the start for Texas Tech. He went five innings pitched of shutout baseball. He only had one walk and he fanned seven. I mean, it was a really encouraging, nice start for Lanning. Enjoyed seeing him out there. He did a good job for Texas Tech and you were feeling pretty good. You're carrying that one run lead into the seventh thinking, all right, things are going pretty well. Taylor Floyd had come in after five. He went two and two-thirds. I had some questions on Twitter and some others that were speculating if they, if Tim Tadlock and Matt Gardner hung with Floyd too long. I don't know that they did. Floyd's been pretty strong in relief. Two and two-thirds might have been a little bit long for him. He allowed four hits. He had two runs, both of them earned. He only walked two. He had four strikeouts, but he did hit a batsman as well. Obviously, it's always too long once they've allowed a couple runs. I mean, that's easy to say. I don't know that uh, 
Tim Tadlock would say anything about how long he had stayed, but you know, I think what it, part of it was you're playing Nebraska. They're a team with a losing record, and what you're hoping is, hey, let's get through this one and save some arms because the big boy's coming up on Saturday. And that is how it ended up playing out. You use three pitchers against Nebraska, and then you end up using a season-high seven pitchers against Mississippi State. So as I said, Taylor Floyd came in in relief for two and two-thirds. He ended up getting the loss, and then Dane Haveman just pitched a third of an inning there at the end and got a single strikeout. Haveman, again, just coming out with solid stuff. I think when you see that big lefty come out, I'm feeling more and more confident in what he's going to bring. He generally does third of an inning, sometimes a full inning. He's gone a little bit more than that. I feel confident that he's going to come out there. He's going to throw strikes. He's going to work batters. He's going to do a pretty good job for you. And and I appreciate that. I like his arm slot too. He, he kind of reminds me somehow of Walter Johnson. He has kind of this little bit of a sidearm delivery with just some, you know, big body behind him and some pretty good velo. I just think he's fun to watch and it's been nice to see him grow up a little bit on the mound. He's he's becoming a good reliever for the Red Raiders out of the pen. So you carry this one run lead into the seventh, but then those two runs were allowed. You had a double and then a walk, and then there was just a pair of RBI singles. So what Nebraska did that Texas Tech couldn't do, they put together some quality at-bats. They strung together a few of them, and they turned them into runs. Texas Tech just wasn't able to do that. So there's some credit to be given there to the reliever, Chad Lundsman. It was expected that he would come in this season and be a big weapon for Nebraska, and he definitely was. He had three innings pitched in relief, and it was just straight shutout ball, four walks and four Ks. Did a really solid job there just keeping Texas Tech out of it. And then Gomez coming in at the end and just not allowing anything, just throwing gas up there and getting the save. So a couple of frustrating statistics about the Red Raiders in this game. They did not get their leadoff hitter on board until the ninth inning, and they did not tally a hit after the fifth. That is just not going to cut it for Texas Tech offensively. Tech is known throughout the country as a strong offensive team year after year, always with that reload mentality. I think that that will continue. I think you'll continue to see good offensive production. I'm really starting to think it's weather and cold temperatures, which that's been a little bit of the MO for the Red Raiders, continuing last year as well against Kentucky. Once again, just bad weather, cold weather, just not playing well. That just may be something that they don't like. That's fine. That's why Texas Tech isn't part of the Big Ten. But when you're going to be in an early season tournament, you have to be prepared for that kind of stuff. Texas Tech won't be in Frisco next season. They'll be in Round Rock at Dell Diamond playing in the new Round Rock Classic, which will be run by the same company that ran the Frisco Classic. Now, the Round Rock Classic, you'll be playing Tennessee, Stanford, and the University of Houston, and that series will be even earlier. That'll be February 21st to 23rd of 2020. So again, no guarantees you're going to have nice weather for that. Certainly getting a couple weeks even earlier into February, that could be something to think about. But I definitely think the Red Raiders will bounce back from this. I definitely think you'll see offensive production pick back up. I'm trying not to be the sunshine pumper. That is the way baseball goes, as Ron Washington said. But I am a little bit frustrated. It was a frustrating weekend. A lot of travel, a lot of driving, sitting out there miserable, bundled up, watching baseball. You would love to get a win. I know those guys would love to do that for themselves and the fans, but frustrating how it turned out. So you go into Saturday hopeful, thinking, okay, you shook that off, moved past it, flushed that bad one. We're going to come in, 
Texas Tech's going to step up for this top 10 matchup with Mississippi State, who was a College World Series team last year. And then you leave with even more frustration with only three hits on the day on Saturday, Gabe Holt and Dylan Noisy, the only Red Raiders with hits in the entire contest. That's a season low for Texas Tech. Holt went two for four. He had a run scored. He had three stolen bases. That's tying his career high, and he's now reached safely in 24 straight games. Gabe Holt had a great game. There was nothing to argue with about Gabe Holt's game. He did a really solid job. He had to move around from outfield to infield as well. He was error-free, which is saying something in this game. That's his second multi-hit game of the season. It's his 32nd multi-hit game in his career. He's a fantastic player for Texas Tech. He really is. He's He is just quietly becoming a really fantastic player out there, but Texas Tech has got to find ways to capitalize on those kinds of performances. As I said, Noisy also turned in a hit. He had a stolen base, and he forced a balk after that and just walked on that easy walk to third and then he had an exciting play he scored on a wild pitch it basically was stealing home is what it ended up looking like he showed great speed he had no hesitation did a really good job with the slide I mean overall it was an exciting fun play and you're thinking all right we're here to compete these guys are here to make it happen and then unfortunately weren't able to do anything else throughout the game just a frustrating game all the way around for Texas Tech and credit where it's due Nebraska starter JT Ginn, he went seven full innings pitch. He allowed three hits, two runs, one walk, and he fanned eight batters. Now, Tim Tadlock did give him credit for that in the postgame press conference, and he was going to be a star coming into this season. That was expected. He has been lights out throughout the season, and there was no exception there. I would definitely say, and you can go look at D1 Baseball as they start to release their notes from this weekend, they're going to be talking about Mississippi State's pitching being elite, and I think that that's a a fair assessment. They did a good job against Texas Tech, did a good job in their other game. They really did look solid this weekend. On the other hand, Caleb Killian, who started for you on Saturday, was not sharp. He went three and two-thirds innings pitched. He had four hits. He allowed two runs. One of those was earned. Hit a walk and three Ks, and then he also hit a batsman. Now, a little bit of, not to make excuses there, but a little bit for Killian. He had flu in the middle of the week, started to feel better on Friday, and Tim Tadlock was excited that he was able to go out there and pitch. Now, of course, Tadlock's looking at a bigger picture than we are, and he wanted Killian to be able to stay in his rhythm, stay in his routine and his rotation spot, and continue on Saturdays. So that was a positive to keep him in his rhythm. But on on the other hand... He was just not strong, and we haven't seen a strong Caleb Killian yet. That's a little bit worrisome for the Red Raiders, I think. As I mentioned, he used a season-high seven pitchers on the day. Really, the highlight of those was probably Micah Dallas. But just to kind of give you the rundown of what that ended up looking like. So John McMillan came in for two-thirds of an inning. He allowed two hits and one run. It was not earned. He had two walks, no strikeouts. It was just, again, not a great showing for McMillan. He didn't last very long. You could tell he was frustrated with that. Dane Haveman then came in for two-thirds of an inning, did a solid job, got a strikeout, otherwise shut out baseball. Kurt Wilson went a third of an inning with a strikeout. Ryan Cassie came in for two-thirds of an inning, all the way across, zeros on the board. And then Micah Dallas came in and turned in two quality innings for the Red Raiders. He allowed two hits and a run, but he had three strikeouts. He didn't hit anyone. 
He's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think you'll see Micah Dallas continue to grow in his role. He's going to give you a couple years here at Texas Tech, and he's going to be somebody that fans are really going to enjoy seeing pitch. And then Caleb Freeman made an appearance. Was a little bit surprised to see him come in. He hadn't seen him in a while other than an inning against New Mexico State on Tuesday. He came in for one inning pitched. He walked two and struck out one. He did throw a couple of wild pitches, and that's certainly not what you like to see. A little bit surprised. Thought Freeman was going to take a nice big step forward this season. He occupied a pretty solid role for Texas Tech in 2018. Was up and down a little bit, but we have certainly seen a lot more down than up this season. And definitely hoping that he'll start putting that together and taking a step back up soon. So one of the biggest storylines of the day when it came to the Mississippi State game were errors. Texas Tech booked three errors on the day. Just really, really frustrating baseball to watch. Drew Baker took a pretty standard grounder at shortstop, and the ball just absolutely sailed on him. It went into the Mississippi State dugout at the first base side. I mean, it wasn't even close to Cameron Warren. It was over his head and way up the base path. Went into the dugout, so the runner was awarded another base, ended up on second. Baker ultimately got pulled in favor of Easton Morrell in the third inning as a defensive sub. Now, that's a bit of a surprise. He made his first appearance on the season, and then maybe not so much of a surprise. Morrell ended up being charged with an error later as well. And the third error was actually given to Josh Young. Now, I was a little bit surprised by this one. I do understand it, but Young had to field a ball that was way up between the mound and the third baseline. He got it on the run barehanded and ranging hard to his right, had to throw it cross body to Cameron Warren. It was an incredibly difficult throw. One of those kind of Michael Davis specials a little bit, but it was off and short. It took a hard, odd bounce. Cameron Warren was ready to dig it out of the dirt and get the out, but it took a weird bounce, bounced over his glove, and he had to come back to the wall to get it. Just one of those really frustrating plays. You know Josh Young was over there getting into his glove and just upset with himself about it, but just an ugly, sloppy defensive day for the Red Raiders. Was also a little bit surprised at the lineup on Saturday. You had Cole Stilwell get the start at catcher over Braxton Fulford. Fulford ended up coming in a little bit later, but actually never got an at-bat. You also had Tanner Otrimba at DH. He's been playing right field pretty successfully for the Red Raiders. You had Gabe Holt back in right field, and then you saw Max Marshock coming in the nine hole and playing center field. Now, Marshock didn't get a hit on the day, and then you had Tanner Otrimba also struggle and not find a hit at the plate either. And then also with Easton Morrell coming in in favor of Drew Baker, you end up with with Easton Morrell in your two holes. So just not an ideal day. Not sure what the shakeup was about. Certainly I can understand the frustration with Drew Baker. A little bit surprised by that decision. There are other guys that could have moved around. And I didn't mention on Friday with some of the pinch running and hitting that was going on, you actually ended up finishing the game with Gabe Holt at second and Marshawk coming in and going out to center field. Just kind of an odd weekend from that. I understand that Tim Tadlock likes to tinker and try some things out, shake things up. And, you know, I'm certainly not in that locker room to know what other information is being shared and what messages are being sent, you know, with starting and playing time and things of that nature. But it did seem a little bit unusual when I saw that starting lineup on Saturday. I was a little bit concerned with it and it ended up being an issue. 
So I know I haven't done a whole lot to talk you off the ledge. I know that it's a frustrating weekend. You have every right to be frustrated as a Red Raider fan. This is simply not up to snuff with what we've come to expect from Texas Tech baseball, and it's not up to snuff with what's going to be necessary to be successful in a surging Big 12, and it's not going to be up to snuff with what it'll take to be successful for Texas Tech to get themselves back to the College World Series. Really, really a frustrating weekend. Certainly looking for them to surge and bound back against San Diego State coming up in the midweek. I want to talk about that midweek briefly, and then we will let you go. Now, so the Red Raiders are heading out to play San Diego State at Tony Gwynn Stadium in a two-game midweek stand. So they'll play them on Tuesday at 6 o'clock Pacific time, so that'll be 8 o'clock Texas time, and then play them again on Wednesday at 1 o'clock Pacific time, so that'll be 3 o'clock Central time. None of those games will be on television. Those will both be on the Texas Tech Sports Network. So you can find those on Double T 97.3 in Lubbock. You can find them on DoubleT97.3.com or on the mobile app. Those games will be streaming on the mobile app and on their website. So you can listen to those if you're not in Lubbock and picking up the station itself. So San Diego State on the season is 5-4 and four overall. They have a two-game losing streak, and I'll quickly run down their schedule. They opened their season at home hosting the San Francisco Dons. They went 2-1 and one in that series. The first game they won 8-4, to four, then lost 8-9, to nine, then won 6-3. Their first midweek was against UC Irvine. They won that one 9-3, also at home. They hosted three teams in a tournament the last weekend of February, playing Utah at home and winning 3-2. to two hosting Oklahoma, losing one to nothing, and then hosting Kansas State and winning 10 to seven. So a couple of big 12 teams in there. They've certainly played some reasonably solid competition. Their most recent midweek was last Tuesday against San Diego, also at home, and they lost that one four to two. Now, their first time on the road this season was just this last weekend. They went to Air Force. They were able to play the Friday game, and they lost 9-5, to but then the next two games got postponed. Now, that's a conference game for them. That's a Mountain West game. So didn't get to see a lot from them there. So Texas Tech will be a big test for them, and Texas Tech needs to get used to it. Now, their ranking's certainly going to change after the showing this weekend, but Texas Tech needs to get used to getting folks' best shot. Even with a two-game midweek, they're going to be facing Nevada at home this weekend in a Mountain West series, so they certainly can't afford to give it all away if they have a conference series coming up in the weekend. Now, to tell you a little bit about San Diego State from last season, they've kind of become the torchbearer of the Mountain West. They made the NCAA tournament five of the last six seasons. Prior to 2013, they'd only made the tourney nine times in their entire history. So five out of those last six is a pretty big deal for them. They're going to be a lot more athletic this season than they were in 2018. They're pretty free-swinging, and they'll use their speed and athleticism in the base paths if they have it there. I think that they're going to have a stronger rotation than they did in 2018. I think they're going to be pretty solid. Their bats were really the story for them in 2018. Their team slash line was a 301, 373, 438. So their batting average was 14th in the nation, and they had 373 runs scored. That was 54th in the nation. I expect their hitting to be pretty significant this season, but once again, you never know. I'll talk a little bit about their stats as we go through. So as I mentioned, they are a Mountain West team. They were 39 and 21 last season. They were 18 and 12 in the Mountain West. 
They had a pretty solid season overall. They did make the NCAA tournament. They've never been to the College World Series, but they have 14 NCAA tournament appearances in their history. So a little bit of tradition there. And then, as I said, certainly in the last few years, that's been picking up. Mark Martinez is their head coach is in his fifth season. So a couple of pitchers that you're likely to see. Justin Goosen-Brown is somebody that's been really solid for them this season. He's got a 360 ERA. Now his whip is a .87. Now for those of you that may not know, whip is a saber metric, and what it measures is how many base runners a pitcher is allowing per inning pitch. So it's their walks plus hits per inning pitched is what whip stands for. So the lower the whip, obviously the better they are at keeping runners from getting on base. And so for a sub one whip, that's really saying something about what he's doing. He's 1-0 on the season. He's had five appearances, one start out of those, but he's pitched 15 innings. Done a really solid job for them. And one of my favorite stats, he's only allowed a 189 batting average from batters he's opposed. So now he started their first midweek game on February 19th. So that's why I first looked at him as a midweek starter. However, he pitched three innings on Sunday against Kansas State. He only had 38 pinches, so somewhere around a bullpen session, maybe a little bit more, and he earned the win. But then as I look back, he also threw 31 pitches in two and a third on Friday against Utah. So if you did see him start this week, they'd have played him on Friday in relief, on Sunday in relief, and then either Tuesday or Wednesday. But I do think it's possible that you might see him in a midweek. As I said, he did start their first midweek. The other pitcher you may be likely to see in a starting position would be Aaron Eden. Now, Eden pitched two innings pitched on Saturday against OU, and personally, my money's on him for the Tuesday start. Now, from an ERA standpoint, Eden is probably their best pitcher. He has a .77 ERA in four appearances. He's got one start. His whip is also sub one. It's a .89. He's had 11 and two-thirds innings pitched. He's only allowed seven hits on the season in his time, a 167 batting average against. He's only plunked one. I mean, he's really, really been solid for them. Only allowed one earned run so far. So, I definitely think these are probably two guys that you're going to see a lot of. I would assume they will start, but if they don't, they may be the deep relief for San Diego State. Otherwise, from a batting standpoint, they have done fairly well this season. They have five players batting over 300 currently, one batting a 400 even. Now, Angelo Armenta is the one batting 400. He's doing a really fantastic job for them. His OPS is a 1.083. Now, again, to get in those sabermetrics a little bit, OPS is on-base percentage plus slugging percentage. So it's a sum of on-base and slugging. So it's a sum of how much you can both get on base and hit for power. So obviously two offensive skills. So he's hitting pretty well for power as well as getting on base a lot for them. He leads the team in hits. He leads the team in slugging percentage. A couple of things I did notice about this team, they've only hit one home run this season. So that's certainly not a bad thing for the Red Raiders. Texas Tech has only allowed two home runs on the season. They continue to hold on to that, which is actually saying something when you think about Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park, which is a pretty hitter-friendly park. I'm not sure exactly about the dimensions of Tony Gwynn, but to not be hitting home runs in your home ballpark may be saying something about this team and and what their bats are going to be able to do against Red Raider pitching. So that's something for them to think about. They also don't have a ton of extra base hits overall. Uh, fair, Fair number in the doubles category, only one triple. So Dylan Noisy has more triples than this entire team so far this season. 
you have several Red Raiders with more home runs by themselves in this entire team as well. So I certainly expect Texas Tech to have an opportunity and go in and win in dominant fashion. I definitely hope they will come back angry and go in and make a statement with this game and go in and make a statement with these two games. I definitely think these are winnable. I'm not seeing from the batting side anybody that should be able to just tee off on Texas Tech pitching, particularly if it's the pitching that we saw from Bryce Bonin last week against New Mexico State. Obviously a prolific offensive team compared to what San Diego State has shown so far. Now from the pitching side, Texas Tech's bats need to come. They've got to be ready to hit. They've got to be ready to go. They've got to jump on pitches. They've got to work the counts and run them up on these guys. I really hope they approach this like it's a weekend series that matters. It's a good opportunity on the road, far from home, to get some experience under your belt because their road test this weekend did not go well for Texas Tech, and I really hope they come out ready to work. Now, when it all comes down to it, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there to watch this team. I'm going to support them one way or the other. They're not going to piss me off. I don't think they're quitting by any means. I think they're a good team. They have a ton of talent, and they're going to put it together. I have faith in this coaching staff and faith in these guys. They're going to put it together. So I don't ever mean to imply that I sat there in the stands disgusted by any means. That team went out there and played. They worked. They fought. Unfortunately, it just didn't all come together for them. They couldn't get the bats working, and there were some things not working that normally do. In my head, that's probably mental, probably driven by the weather. If there's anything I could look at, those are the two things that would make sense to me. But also remember, this was Texas Tech's first road trip of the season. They had not played any games away from Dan Lawfield at Rip Griffin Park. They'd played two full weekend series except one canceled Monday game against Oregon and played one midweek all at Dan Law Field all in a row and then now you travel you get into cold temps and misty conditions the ball's not carrying and you're playing pretty elite competition so I could definitely understand it being a little bit of a hiccup but what it can't become is the Kentucky series followed by Louisville followed by Baylor the Red Raiders have got to stop the bleeding hop in there in San Diego and make something happen. And I think they will. I have faith that they will. I'll certainly be listening to the game and keeping track as best I can. So following that, the Red Raiders are going to be playing host to the Wichita State Shockers at Dan Law Field at Rip Griffin Park this coming weekend. You're going to be able to watch two of those games on Fox Southwest Plus on Friday and Sunday, and the Saturday game will be available on Texas Tech TV. So with that, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate your time, appreciate your fandom of Texas Tech baseball. Thanks so much for listening to me ramble. Keep your head up. If I don't see you before Thursday, wreck them. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby and find more Texas Tech sports content at stakingtheplains.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back next week with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck of tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me Be the first one to fire Every man is a liar There's just one kind of man who tells the truth That's a dead man or a gringo like me